Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Any health-related information on the following show provides general information only. Content presented on any show by any host or guest should not be substituted for a doctor's advice. Always consult your physician before beginning any new diet, exercise, or treatment program. You're simply And welcome back to Dr. Isabel Trantz. As I was saying last week, this week is pre-recorded because Dialing Rebel is uh, very much on holiday, hopefully, uh, for her birthday weekend. So I'm sure we'll all wish her happy birthday and we'll sing happy birthday or something when she gets back. And uh, that was that. Hello to everybody. Marcia in London, Jane and Ron in Norfolk, and Charlotte on the Isle of Wight, George in Louisiana, Irish, of course, in Brussels, and everybody else who's listening. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Now, I, I keep hopping on about my garden and my vegetables and things, and it is quite important because... For us, there is now a big problem, or for agriculture, the the problem is starting to arrive. We've had hardly any rain. We've had heat, um, you know, lots of sunshine, which I absolutely adore. No rain means I don't have to mow the lawn constantly or get somebody else to help me with it. It's brown, okay. Um, But one of the other things is on one of my meadows, a friend is keeping his little herd of sheep, or flock of sheep rather. He's got six uh, six uh, ewes, and uh, each ewe has twins, which means that you've got 12 lambs um, all for fattening up, which is a bit of a problem because now with no grass, they actually have to start feeding them with their winter rations of um, ewe pellets or lamb pellets. And you hear it all over the place. One of my patients, his future son-in-law, was uh, his father is rearing beef cattle and he's just about to sell them because the value of the cattle 
is less than the value of the stock in hay and um, straw he's holding for the winter is um, much better, much higher. So it doesn't make sense for him to keep feeding the cattle or the livestock but to actually get rid of them and then keep hold of the hay and the straw and sell it when the winter comes as one of the reserves. Which will mean, long and short story, basically that soon food is going to become more expensive because obviously the uh, you know the, the, the fact that farmers now have to start on the winter stock feeding um, it means that A, we ha- will have a shortage of feed, animal feed in the winter, but also it's going to be much, much more expensive. Even if they don't make any money, um, they will have to fork out higher prices as well. So what can we do to save money? Because obviously we need to save money. Do our own. Now everybody says, oh yeah, you can talk, you know, you've you've got a vegetable patch and you've got the place, etc. etc. But I can't because I live in a flat or I live in town or whatever. Now I came across this beautiful article in Wake Up World or on Wake Up World, wakeup-world.com, and it's fifty ideas for container gardens. And I think even if she is, I think it's a her who wrote the article, even if it's, um, you know, she's talking mainly about plants and flowers, you can do the same with tomatoes and cucumbers, courgettes and anything else. And it's not too late to do it now. So, um, yes, it's Kelly Roberts, uh, Rob, Robertson or Robson um, from Wake Up World. So what she writes is 50 ideas for container gardens. Bored with the pots you use for container gardening? This summer, refresh your landscape and boast your curb appeal with our fun ideas for container gardens. When I got my first apartment, and that's why I want you to listen, with just a tiny concrete pad and not a speck of rich loam in sight, I did what seemed natural and right. I bought myself a big terracotta pot and planted tomatoes. My living circumstances have since changed. Now I'm fortunate enough to have flower beds, shrubs and trees, a vegetable garden and a compost pile. But I can guarantee you I still have the same terracotta pot or some variation of it. The facts speak to the durability and popularity of the material as well as the versatile nature of container gardening itself. A container plus some potting soil and seeds or a plant equals flowers, herbs, veggies, even dwarf trees or shrubs. Container gardening is the ultimate garden leveller for all of us, no matter where we live. Even so, I found myself turning to those terracotta pots less and less. In place of them, I've been using alternative containers that reflect my personality and gardening style, accent the architecture of my home and complement my yard. Fortunately, there is no shortage of ideas. We've got 50 of them. So there you go. That's going to be interesting, isn't it? But before you start planting away in a new container, consider a few things. Material. What the container is made of can impact how easy it is to move and how well it holds moisture and encourages plant growth. Some materials, such as plastic, may fade more quickly than others. Size. Your containers shouldn't be as big as your plant is now. 
but as big as your plant will be once it's fully grown. Drainage. This is a big one. Plants that can't get rid of excess moisture will develop swampy roots and eventually stop growing. Some materials, tin, plastic, are easy enough to add drainage holes to using an ordinary drill bit or a hammer and a nail. Others, ceramic for example, may require specialised drill bit to add small holes. So as you scour your yard sales and big box stores, your garage and your favourite flea market, keep your eyes out for those plant-friendly containers alternatives. So, 50 ideas for container gardens. 1. Terracotta. Yes, there's much more to the world of containers than terracotta, but those classic clay pots are also remarkably adaptable. Try an aged glazed or brightly coloured gloss paint or a decorative treatment. 2. Concrete. Bold and beefy for intricately scrolled concrete containers have become popular but can be difficult to move. Best bet? Buy one, plant it and leave it stationary. Bonus, in cold climates it will withstand freezing. With terracotta sometimes difficult. Resin. Resin or plastic containers made specifically for garden mimic the look of other materials, say concrete, without the expensive price tag. Wire baskets. Old wire baskets have built-in drainage but no lining. The solution? Use cocoa mats, buy them from the yard or wherever, and cut them to the size. Metal buckets. Old metal buckets can be had for a song at flea markets. Give yours a good scrub and drill a couple of drainage holes. For fun, train a vine up the handle, hold it in place with a narrow bamboo pole. Wheelbarrow. A discarded wheelbarrow filled with plants is a good way to accent a cottage-style garden. Wagon. Plastic or metal, wagons offer a flexible bonus if the wheels still work. You can move them at will. For fun, try a mini water garden in the wagon. No holds needed here, of course. 8. Plastic containers. Great for kids' container gardens. A collection of old plastic vessels like sand toys can be grouped together for a casual planting collection. Homemade hypertufa. Hypertufa, whatever that is, is a lightweight combo of Portland cement, perlite and peat moss. It's an easy DIY. Google homemade hypertufia for instructions that can be cast in any mould. Never even heard of that. That'd be quite interesting. Send me photos if you've got one. Please. 10. Bricks. Although bricks need to be mortared together in order to provide a watertight container, they can easily be dry sacked, stacked around a humdrum container, think plain plastic container, to add a decorative touch to planting. 11. Wooden boxes. Lining biodegradable items such as wooden boxes helps to preserve them for longer use and keeps potting soil contained. Yeah, that's one problem I have. I forgot that. And um, yes, it's very interesting what's happening. But I've got my cucumber plants and my courgette, uh, chili plants in there, so I can't move them now. 12. Painted containers. Paint is a great way to transform virtually any container into a one-of-a-kind element that matches the landscape or accents on your home. Wine crates. Many vessels, such as wine crates, won't need formal drainage holes as long as the wooden elements have spacing. Use plastic lining, with holes cut in, or cocoa mat, which is better, to prevent loss of dirt. Metal tool, tote or toolbox. 
Typically long and narrow, a metal tote also has a handle, making it easy to transport ones filled with blooms or herbs. 15. A purse, really? Once you're done using a purse, transform it into a container for plants with shallow roots, such as succulents. 16. Colander. Plastic or metal, a colander has built-in drainage holes and can be used on a tabletop for a centrepiece, too. That's a good idea. Ceramic or tin pitchers. Drill holes and use an old pitcher to dress up a tabletop or entryway. Apple boxes. Like wine boxes, apple boxes may be wide enough in construction to eliminate the need for drainage holes. If you line one with plastic, cut holes for water and air to circulate. 19. Wooden bottle carriers. Separate compartments allow you to create a themed display such as an herb or annual garden. Vintage wash basin. Many wash basins are already elevated on legs, giving them height that often lack in other container gardens. And you can stack them as well. Mosaic planters. Broken glass tiles is a unique way to dress up an ordinary container garden. Old toys. Like a dumper truck can add some character to a garden. The bed of the dumper truck can be perfect place to house small plants. Baskets. To protect baskets, often made of biodegradable reeds, line with plastic. Or I'd go for coconut matting again. Bird baths. Low and shallow rooted plants, as well as trailing vines, do well in wide berth of a bird bath. 25. Water trough. Deep enough for big rooted plants such as ornamental grasses, a water trough can also serve as a focal point, accented with smaller metal or coloured containers. Old sinks. A ceramic sink makes a great find for a cottage or unusual garden. Prop on the ground or display on the shelf next to a shed. Half a wine barrel. It's a classic choice and for good reason. These oversized barrels offer plenty of room for a collection of mid-sized and large plants. Non-functioning fountains. The material may determine whether you can drill holes in a non-functioning fountain, but the tiers offer a great way to display cascading vines. Oh, it's good for, yeah, you know, eating grapes and stuff. Drainage tiles. Secure square tiles together with fixed metal brackets to make a pretty vintage, uh, vintage, uh, your name and your con. Start again. Drainage tiles. Secure square tiles together with fixed metal brackets to make a pretty vintager of your name in the container garden. However you do that, I have no idea. That's why I got stuck there because I was trying to think at the same time. Never mind. Plastic buckets. Instead of throwing them away, use them. As the interest in home improvement expands, so too does the options for homeowners to alter items. A one or five gallon plastic bucket can be dressed up with paint and planted with colourful flowers for a container garden. And make sure they're edible flowers. 31. A ladder. Hmm. Not technically a container, an old metal or wooden ladder is nonetheless an interesting way to display a collection of vibrantly coloured containers. Old drawers. Score some cast of vintage finds and tuck them on the retaining walls of an unusually planting method. 33. Metal urns. Elevate tall containers such as this to give added height and drama to container planting. Metal bike and basket. Much like a wire basket, a bike basket can be lined with a coconut hull mat and the bike propped against the shed or a wall. 
Rubber boots, rain boots, often come with their own decorative motives. Place a few in a cottage-style garden or hang several from rungs to dress up a fence, fence, for example. You could actually grow little trees in them if they're big enough. Rubber tyres, on their own, tyres, especially oversized versions, are dull and dreary. Apply a bright coat of paint and cluster a few together on top of one another and you can create a cascading collection of blooms. What I actually do is I use rubber tyres to grow my potatoes in. That way I know when I've planted which one because I have five uh, five tyres, big, in, in this case tractor tyres, um, in my veg patch and I start planting obviously the first one uh, one week then the second one the next week and the third one the next week so um, it keeps keeps going so I know exactly when to um, harvest the potatoes it's quite quite useful crockery Although some crocs can be expensive, others, particularly those with imperfections, may make good container gardens, particularly for dwarf trees or ornamental grasses. Fabric-covered pots. An old pot can be decorated with strips and scraps of fabric. Use a craft glue and keep the fabric about one inch from the bottom of the pot. It's great to, you know, for your windowsill old canisters. What once held flour and sugar can now hold flowers and herbs herbs. 40. Paint cans. Purchase new empty paint cans for a streamlined metal container that's a great contemporary accent. Muffin tins. Collect miniature succulents and plant in a discarded muffin tin. Teacups and pots. A delicate jeweler's drill bit will help drive a just right drainage hole in these delicate containers. Try a collection for a porch perfect centerpiece. Mid-sized to large plastic food containers. Grow a collection of herbs in a few big yogurt tubs, clean and thoroughly washed, obviously. Concrete blocks. To turn these concrete blocks on their side and use the two openings for small-scale container planting. 45. Coffee tin. Colourful vintage finds equal personality-driven container planting. Or strip the labels off ordinary versions for pretty tabletop options old metal watering cans. Look for options with wide tops and train vines to run up the spouts. Enamelware pots. Sturdy enamelware will need drainage holes but the bright colours of some pots add pretty accent on to container collections. Plumbing pipes. Very wide tubes can be cut down and clustered together for a visual interesting twist on container planting strawberry jars. Although typically used for growing red berries, strawberry jars can be used to nurture other growers such as herbs and also strawberry plants, you know, you could do probably, um, possibly uh, tomatoes. Bread pans. Metal bread pans may be narrow enough to fit on a windowsill, making them a good container garden to bring inside once the weather cools. And that was number 50. So basically, no holds barred. Try and find what you're looking, you know, what you want to do and uh, shove it all up there. It's good. It's perfectly um, reasonable to play. Play around, have a look and see what's, what's available, what takes your fancy and then start decorating. Whether it's your windowsill, a tiny ledge of a balcony, a big balcony, a terrace, a porch or a garden. It's, it's worth it in any size and shape. Okay, And that's how you can start growing herbs, spices, 
um, and you know some vegetables and some fruits a lot of um, fruit trees are now also available in miniature versions so it's you know it's we have to have our own ideas about how we're going to grow our food because it's going to be more expensive out there and I don't want to give my hard-earned cash to some big corporation who is just ripping us off and making an extra profit and ripping the farmers off who are trying very hard to grow the food but obviously with the weather and everything else um, things are against them isn't it Right. Other news around at the moment is, uh, for example, something shocking again, as it was last week. Um, Ebola is one of the world's most terrifying illnesses. Whenever a case arises in the United States, typically stemming from international travel activities, we quickly move to trace, inform and prevent. We do such things because we are terrified of Ebola or Ebola. So it would only make sense that we'd look to eliminate it from the books of modern history as soon as possible. All of that makes sense unless your Boston University prestigious and secure National Emerging Infectious Diseases Laboratory, whereas obtaining Ebola virus samples makes for science. Last Thursday, the lab announced that it not only had, the obt had obtained Ebola samples, but also the related and similar Marburg virus. It's all in the name of research, says the university, that will now experiment with the viruses as a way to prevent a global health threat. Microbiologist Elke Mühlberger says the lab's first four level, uh, level four projects will examine how the Ebola virus damages cells in the liver and why it triggers such a powerful inflammatory response. Answers to those questions, she says could speed up the development of a therapy for Ebola virus disease. The NEIDL relate to the public in statement. In referring to the same experiments on her Boston University page, Mühlberger writes, Together, these investigations will provide a better understanding of how filoviruses evade or modulate cellular antiviral mechanisms and will help to develop antiviral countermeasures. In 2017, Mühlberger created an entire video about raising um, Ebola. Uh, Mühlberger's goal is to study Ebola horrendous effects on the liver as well as how and why it causes such a severe inflammatory response. Such a goal, of course, could reasonably lead to new medicines or hopefully a cure. Unfortunately, we don't seem to aspire for cures as much as we do treatments. But that's for another day. From 2014 to 2016, an Ebola outbreak in West Africa claimed the lives of nearly 11,000 people. Um, just as an aside, uh, in one year, the normal flu claims about 50,000 people. Okay, not worldwide. That's that's much much higher. But here in the UK, uh, and I haven't got the figures for last for the last flu year uh, yet for the states. So just put that in perspective. Okay, 
The dangerous effects experienced by those who contract Ebola are certainly not in question. Rather, the idea that we are keeping and pursuing laboratory samples are being questioned. Such narratives have all the hallmarks of a modern science fiction movie with none of the butter, buttered popcorn to enjoy. NEIDL was given their Ebola and Marburg permit late last year. They had to prove they are a biosafety level 4 lab. We should trust the process to lead to a cure. That's the ordinary and reasonable thinking in matters that involve the transport and storage of deadly pathogens. But I find myself wary of university labs storing deadly illnesses due to a variety of reasons. We shouldn't understate the transport of deadly pathogens as a potential disaster waiting to happen. Clearly, in order to transport a deadly pathogen, a number of persons must be introduced in the process, lending itself to even more potential nefarious undertakings. The lab now becomes a target of those who'd wish to do our nation and people harm. Sure, the lab is secure, but how secure? Stranger things have happened, particularly when we consider the modern world of cyber warfare, that the most powerful countries in the world seemingly have little understanding. Are we now one compromised lab worker away from a pandemic survival situation? I'm confident it isn't that simple in terms of potentially decimated checks and balances, although I've seen the Americans, so I trust no one. The National Emerging Infectious Disease Lab was built in 2008. The lab spent years rehearsing potentially safe safety compromises as a way hey guys it is ryan i'm not sure if you know this about me but i'm a bit of a fun fanatic when i can i like to work but i like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. To obtain the rarely issued biosafety level 4 certification. Due to the CDC standards, the Ebola will be sealed and stored in airtight containers and researchers must wear protective suits when handling it. Delivery processes, another potential terrifying weakness in the chain, are overseen by federal authorities. In other words, there are a lot of places in the chain that could be compromised. The more people involved, the less secure. People are often greedy or function from state of tolerant total incompetence. But I don't have to tell that to you, do I? A state of constant paranoia is by no means a healthy way of life. However, being informed of what's going on around us is, by every standard, a wise approach to life. We are growing Ebola pathogens that may result in a cure. It may not. But at least you've been told. And that comes from uh, a website. Uh, well, I get it via Dr. Tenpenny's uh, website, but it came from prepforthat.com. Um, which might be worth having a look at anyway, uh, simply for the reason that um, I, you need to be informed. I used to treat um, a retired uh, high-ranking officer whose job after retirement was to transport things like viruses, etc., from one 
area to another. For example, the flight would come in from Shannon into Stansted Airport. They would then transfer it to a car and rush down the motorway to a facility either in Cambridge or London. And uh, yes, it was the container. I mean, they, the drivers themselves were always surprised how dash, slapdash the whole transport was. And they were told to get the package for want of a better word as fast as they could um, to the laboratory so please no sparing the horses frequently because they were using unmarked cars they would get stopped etc um, and I was wondering uh, one time he came back and he said oh we had a near miss there or near hit um, because we were going fast as we were told and we have permission to um, but somebody cut out in front of us and I said, well, what would have happened if you had an accident and the car would have been smashed or something? What would happen to the container? And the guy just went quite coolly and said, oh, well, then you would have had the plague outbreak. And I thought, mm, that's not really what I want, to be quite honest. But anyway, another really good um, article by Prep for that is relating surgery. Now, you all know, I think, um, if you've been listening to me for the last years, that my mother had laser surgery on her eyes and basically it burned her eyes um, and she regretted it seriously um, because it, it was quite apart from the pain and she had a very, very high pain threshold and she was literally in bed for two weeks. You couldn't do anything with her because she was in so much pain. Um, so I was interested to read this article because everywhere, certainly in our television here in the UK, there is adverts about laser treatment for eyes. And the article says, LASIK surgery leaving people with debilitating eye pain, suicidal and dry eyes. LASIK eye surgery is one of the most popular procedures in America and I think in Europe as well. Since its FDA approval in the 1990s, almost 10 million people have had the surgery hoping to never again be bothered by cumbersome eyewear. For the most part, LASIK is pitched as a relatively simple surgery that only results in benefit to the patient on the receiving end. But LASIK has a dark side to it that is often buried by those looking to promote it. In 2008, former LASIK patients and some of their family members gave testimony to that dark side at an FDA meeting. Many claim that LASIK surgery was wholly responsible for their loss of employment. They claim they suffered blurred vision, were disabled and many claimed suicidal thoughts were pervasive, all part of what is now being called intense LASIK side effects. To many Americans have been harmed by this procedure and it's about time this message was heard, say David Shell of Washington, who had LASIK in 1998 and says he has not experienced a moment of good, crisp, quality vision since. For the last two years I have suffered debilitating and unremitting eye pain, Matt Kotsovolos said. Patients do not want to continue to exist as helpless victims with no voice. Now, the New York Times has published another long piece regarding the failure of LASIK. This time, the article centers around graphic artist Giovanni Ramirez, who had LASIK a couple of years prior to the article's publication. Ramirez now claims he has visual distortions and double vision, and that he has been rendered useless at night due to extreme poor night vision. 
My vision is considered 2020 because I can see the A's, B's and C's all the way down the chart, said Mr. Ramirez. But I see three A's, three B's, three C's. The concept that LASIK procedure is safe is now falling apart as more and more negative reports hit the press. A clinical trial by the FDA confirmed that LASIK surgery has a high failure rate, something which runs contrary to widely held beliefs that the procedure is safe and effective. In fact, when you go inside the data from the clinical trials, things get rather scary. Almost half the study's participants had healthy and normal eyes prior to LASIK surgery. Following the procedure, they developed side effects such as visual aberrations. A third of the participants were left with discomforting dry eyes. From the trial, patients undergoing LASIK surgery should be adequately counseled about the possibility of developing new visual symptoms after surgery before undergoing this elective procedure. Ophthalmologists mostly believe that LASIK is safe, effective and the best possible option for those with vision issues. But the numbers simply don't lie. Ophthalmologists have too much to gain from pricey surgical procedures to be trusted with honest disclosure, which has likely been the root cause of the growing trend of LASIK procedures causing side effects. How many people would have undergone LASIK surgery had they known and understood the real risk? Probably not too many at all. The Mayo Clinic lists LASIK side effects as potentially leaving the patient with dry eyes, halos, glare, double vision, undercorrections, overcorrections, astigmatism, flat problems and vision loss. LASIK surgery is a procedure wildly touted for its ability to correct far and nearsightedness as well as people who suffer from astigmatism. Most people don't expect to suffer any negative consequences after the procedure, which seems to be due to eye doctors' non-disclosure of potential risks. Many eye surgeons claim that any side effects experienced by patients following LASIK procedures will subside given a few months' time. That is exactly what my mother was told the whole time. Just wait, it'll change, it'll, it'll be get, getting better. It never did. Last year, over 700,000 people had LASIK performed on them uh, in the US. A number of eye surgeons are now citing as evidence that new criticism over the procedure may be exaggerated. Oh, it's always the usual thing. Follow the money, isn't it? Um, which, is, which is tragic. Vision is so, so important. Um, uh, I don't know what to say, really. Now, uh, curcumin, eye drops, reversing glaucoma. This comes from what, doctor don't t what doctors don't tell you dot com, wddty.com. Curcumin, the wonder ingredient in turmeric that has anti-cancer and anti-inflammatory properties, could reverse glaucoma, the eye disease a new study has discovered. And this comes also from the scientific reports, 2018. Curcumin eye drops can stabilize the problem and even reverse it in its early stages, say researchers from Imperial College London. Medicine is limited in its treatment of glaucoma, an eye problem that destroys retinal cells and can result in blindness. It affects around 60 million people around the world every year, and 10% will eventually lose their sight. But using curcumin eye drops twice a day stopped the loss of retinal cells, and this was within three weeks of starting treatment the researchers found in experiments on laboratory rats. 
Curcumin supplements had similar positive effects in early studies on glaucoma, but the imperial researchers think that eye drops are more reliable and can better target the problem area. The researchers also think that the eye drops could be used to diagnose other conditions. Curcumin also already been found to prevent uh, to help prevent mental diseases such as Alzheimer's and some cancers and has anti-inflammatory qualities which suggests it might also be a treatment for heart disease and arthritis. Curcumin is an ingredient in turmeric, a spice that is most commonly used in curries which gives them their yellow colouring. But we know that, don't we? Because we're already here with um, science confirms turmeric as effective as 14 drugs. There we go. Greenmedinfo.com is coming up trumps again. Turmeric is one of the most thoroughly researched plants in existence today. Its medicinal properties and component, uh, components, primarily curcumin, have been the subject of over 5,600 peer-reviewed and published biomedical studies. In fact, our five-year-long research project on this sacred plant has revealed over 600 potential preventive and therapeutic applications, as well as 175 distinct beneficial physiological effects. The entire database of 1,585 NCBI hyperlinked turmeric abstracts can be downloaded as a PDF. So, um, Go back, go to the greenmedinfo.com website and have a look at that. Given the sheer density of research performed on this remarkable spice, it is no wonder that a growing number of studies have concluded that it compares favourably to a variety of conventional medications, including Lipitor, Atorvastin, the cholesterol medications, the statins. A 2008 study published in the journal Drugs in R&D found that a standardised preparation of curcuminoid from turmeric compared favourably to the drug atovastatin, trade name Lipidol, on endothelial dysfunction, the underlying pathology of the blood vessels that drives atherosclerosis in association with reduction in inflammation and oxidative stress in type 2 diabetic patients. Corticosteroids, steroid medication. A 1999 study published in the journal Phytotherapy Research found that the primary polyphenol in turmeric, the saffron-coloured pigment known as curcumin, compared favourably to steroids in the management of chronic anterior uvitis, an inflammatory eye disease. A 2008 study published by Critical Care Medicine found that curcumin compared favourably to the corticosteroid drug dexamethasone, in the animal model as an alternative therapy for protecting lung transplantation associated injury by downregulating inflammatory genes. An early 2003 study published in Cancer Letters found the same drug also compared favorably to dexamethosin in a lung ischemic reperfusion injury model. Now that's a word and a half. Prozac, fluoxetine and imipramine. Antidepressants, a 2011 study published in the journal Acta Polonia Pharmaceutica, found that curcumin compared favorably to both drugs in reducing depressive behavior in an animal model. Aspirin as a blood thinner. In, in 1986, an in vitro and ex vivo study published in the journal Arzneimittelforschung found that curcumin has antiplatelet and prostaglin 
prostacycline modulating effects compared to aspirin, indicating it may have value in patients prone to vascular thrombosis and requiring antiarthritic therapy. Anti-inflammatory drugs. A 2004 study published in the journal Oncogene found that curcumin, as well as resveratrol, were effective alternatives to the drugs aspirin, ibuprofen, solendac, phenylbutazone, naproxene, indomethacine, diclofenac, dexamethasone, selexobic, and tamoxifen in exerting anti-inflammatory and anti-proliferative activities against tumour cells. I tell you all these words, they're fairly big, aren't they? Oxaliplatin, which is a chemotherapy drug. A 2007 study published in the International Journal of Cancer found that curcumin compares favorably with oxaliplatin as an anti-proliferative agent in colorectal cell lives. A 2009 study published in the journal by Oops, sorry, I forgot, metformin, which is a diabetes drug. A 2009 study published in the journal Biochemistry and Biophysical Research Community explored how curcumin might be valuable in treating diabetes, finding that it activates AMPK, which increases glucose uptake, and suppresses gluconeogenic gene expression, which suppresses glucose production in the liver, in hepatoma cells, which are liver cells. Interestingly, they found curcumin to be 500 times to 100,000 times in the form known as tetrahydrocurcuminoids, THC, more potent than metformin in activating AMPK and its downstream target acetyl-CoA carboxylase, ACC. Another way in which turmeric and its components reveal their remarkable therapeutic properties is in research on drug-resistant and multidrug-resistant cancers. We have sections on our site dedicated to researching natural and integrative therapies on these topics. And while there are a dozen of substances with demonstrably efficacy against these chemotherapy and radiation-resistant cancers, curcumin tops both lists. We have also found no less than 54 studies indicating that curcumin can induce cell death or sensitize drug-resistant cancer cell lines to conventional treatment. We have identified 27 studies <coughs> on curcumin ability to either induce cell death or sensitize multidrug-resistant cancer cell lines to conventional treatment. Considering how strong a track record turmeric curmin has, having been used both as food and medicine in a wide range of cultures for thousands of years, a strong argument can be made for using curcumin as a drug alternative or adjuvant in cancer treatment. Or better yet, use certified organic non-irradiated turmeric in lower culinary doses on a daily basis so that heroic doses won't be necessary later in life after a serious disease sets in. Nourishing yourself rather than self-medicating with nutraceuticals should be the goal of a healthy diet. Shouldn't it just? Nutrition is so, so important. And there we go again. OCD could be caused by lack of sunlight. 
OCD. It could be because you're living in the Northern Hemisphere and you're not getting enough sunlight, a new study suggests. People suffering from OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, a mental disorder where the sufferer constantly checks something or carries out the same routine, seem to share similar sleep problems and this tends to happen more to people living in the Northern Hemisphere. This is because people living in these regions get less sunlight, which makes thinking with their internal biological clock more difficult, say researchers at Binghamton University. The researchers noted that OCD sufferers have difficulty getting to sleep and then being unable to get up on time in the morning. Actually, that sounds like me, and I don't think I've got OCD somehow. People who live in areas with less sunlight may have fewer opportunities to synchronise their circadian rhythm, leading to increased OCD symptoms, said lead researcher Meredith Coles. Getting up late each morning also means that people are getting less sunlight anyway, and this can become a vicious circle, leading to more eccentric sleep patterns. And that came out of the Journal of Obsessive Compulsive and Related Disorders 2018 via the What Doctors Don't Tell You, which is worth a good look. Now, your recipes. Um, One is cremolada with grilled watermelon, honey and lime. Now, I I tried this and it's absolutely delicious. The only thing is... um, I uh, I don't grill the watermelon, I'm afraid. Sorry, I just got too bored with that. So it's eight portions. It takes about 30 minutes to make and five hours to freeze. What you need is 100 grams of honey, 175 milliliters of freshly pressed lime juice, one small watermelon, um, obviously the the, uh, skin chopped off, and cut it up in about two and a half centimeters an inch um, sort of pieces and 50 grams of um, some type of other sweetener or sugar now I found that you know like um, zillet or birch bark sugar or stevia or whatever I found that too sweet so I just stayed with the 100 grams of honey now how you make it is one tablespoon of honey and 60 milliliters of the lime juice put it in a small bowl and mix and then this is your sort of your um your sauce you 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 sort of paint your melon slices with put the melon slices on the grill um and grill it from both sides four to five minutes and carry on putting the uh, lime juice mixture on there the whole time. Then let the melon slices um, cool for five minutes and um, chop the rest, chop it again. Now take the um, lemon slices, or the lemon bits, put it together with the rest of the honey, lime juice, uh, sweetener and 120 millilitres of water and... um, period either in a food processor or with one of those hand thingies and put it in uh, then and then put it uh, into the uh, fridge with the rest of the puree uh, filled some um, ice cubes take some ice cubes and let it all sit in the freezer for about five hours once you've come out um, then you can just mix the whole lot again 
uh, but don't put it in in sort of pop popsicle thingies. Put it in nice glasses and serve straight away. Um, and they advise that you use a drinking straw as well, although I'm not so sure. Probably yes, I suppose it's quite juicy, isn't it? Um, I I just do it slightly differently. I use 100 grams of honey, 175 millilitres of the fresh lime juice, one small well, uh, watermelon, and uh, that's it. And what I do is I just really chuck it all into the food processor in one go. And once it's it's sort of mushy and almost juice-like, I then pour it into the icicle things rather than glasses. And... Um, pop it into the freezer and have a nice lolly afterwards which is rather nice I really do enjoy that um, but there you go, that's it those recipes are yummy and that's it for today I think you've got the recipe and we've run out of time anyway and uh, I hope you found it interesting again today I do miss you asking questions so I'm looking forward to next week when we'll be back live so if you have any questions or suggestions or comments and I'd mean with suggestions also um, if you want me to cover a specific topic um, like we did vasectomy last week and you sounded quite interested about that let me know so I can prepare for it but anyway get in touch with me at isabel at foxborough.co.uk with Dr. Isabel's rants in the subject line, please. So I'll spell that for you. I for India, S for Sierra, A for Alpha, B for Bravo, E for Echo, L for Lima, L for Lima, E for Echo, at F for Foxtrot, O for Oscar, X for X-Ray, B for Bravo, U for Uniform, R for Romeo, G for Golf, H for Hotel, dot co dot UK. Isabel at foxbro.co.uk with Dr. Isabel's rants in the subject line. So please get in touch. Let me know what you think, uh, what other topics you would like me to cover, which we haven't covered yet. And uh, that's it for today. So don't forget, go spin, hug a tree, all barefoot of course, and don't forget the apple. You're simply the best.